Well, as I said, tomorrow is uh, the day, January 22nd, 1973, that is commemorated and uh, what we now refer to as the Sanctity of Human Life Sunday. Usually take the, the closest Sunday to that, that day. And that day, we, we remember, is the anniversary of the Supreme Court's ruling of Roe versus Wade in 1973, a ruling that we'll remember uh, legalized abortion and promoted the killing of millions of unborn babies. Uh, Since 1973, there have been more than 63 million babies aborted. Now, sometimes when we say things like that, um, it's it's hard to put, it's hard to quantify that, right? I I don't know what 63 million is of anything, right? How how do you quantify? How do you quantify that? Well, here's just a, a point of reference. 63 million is approximately the equivalent of the combined population of the largest 94 cities in America. Matthew, you want to throw up that map? Those pins represent those cities, and those cities represent people. And in total, something around 63 million people are represented by those pins. That's what has been lost since 1973. On June 24th, 2022, we'll remember the Supreme Court ruled once again and overturned Roe v. Wade and handed the matter back to the states, that is, the, the matter of abortion, back to the states to decide. And though the ruling was a victory, it was a victory, as we now know that in the months that followed, some states successfully passed legislation to make abortion legal once again, and in some cases, even more access or greater access, one of those states being our very own. And so our task of, of praying, of advocating, of educating, and of voting remains necessary, as it was before June 24th, 2022, It is, again, this day, important. It is important that God would be glorified, first and foremost, and that in our lifetime we might see real change in the protection of all life. As we think about abortion, one may wonder, why is the issue so controversial? Why is, uh, or we might say, why is protecting life a controversial matter? Why, why would we get so uh, worked up about this? Are, are there arguments, uh, or is there any argument, for not protecting life? Well, what, what, what could possibly be the argument uh, for abortion? Well, well, there's two claims, and you've heard them. Uh, but one of the claims uh, of those who would promote abortion would be that it's not life yet. Right? That, that what happens in the womb becomes life, but, but it is not life at least not at the beginning. Now, you may, you may have heard the, the phrase, it's, it's a clump of cells. Maybe you, you've heard that um, too. Now, this is uh, obviously intellectually dishonest, uh, both biologically speaking, which we're not going to spend the time this morning on, on, on de- debating the science of what, what is going on at conception. Uh, that's, that's actually clear. Uh, despite what some people would like to try to make it unclear, it is clear. Uh, 
but it's also experientially uh, uh, true. Um, and we, we know this for, for one reason. Uh, for instance, uh, when somebody who, who wants or to, desires to be, to be pregnant, uh, when they find out that they are pregnant, what do they say? They say, we're having a baby. They don't say we're having a clump of cells. They, they say we're having a baby. They recognize that what's in their, what's in their body is a baby. And quick, quick um, note here on the side. When people call the baby a fetus, okay, fetus is Latin for baby. So there's this sense in which they're trying to dehumanize the baby by calling, calling the baby a fetus. Fetus is Latin for baby. They're saying the same thing, okay? The ignorance is, 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 is rich, okay? It, it, it's a baby. It's a baby. It's a baby. It, it's, it's a baby. From conception, it's a baby. It's only when pregnancy is unplanned or unwanted for whatever reason. We understand that there are difficulties. That no one is, no one is broad brushing every unwanted pregnancy as someone who just wants to go kill babies. That's not, that's not what we're doing this morning. But it's only when pregnancies are unwanted or, or unplanned that this argument is used. Because any woman who wants to be pregnant, when they find out they're pregnant, they, they believe they're having a baby. And they believe what's in them is a baby. Well, to combat the, 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 the claim that it's not life, uh, there's one writer uh, named Alan Schlemmen of uh, Stand to Reason. It's a, a website and an organization. And he explains this, this argument um, to kind of deal with the intellectual part. So we've talked about biology, we've talked about experiential, but, but what, what about the intellectual part? And this is not, I don't think this is original with him, but it's an acrostic, it's not gonna be on the screen, but it's S-L-E-D, SLED, S-L-E-D. And, and the argument goes like this. Um, S is size. For arguing with someone about, about whether or not um, the, what's in the womb is life, we go, we go first with size. The unborn is smaller than a born human. Right, that's true. Uh, but since when does size disqualify someone from being human? Right, so we say, well, it's microscopic, or it's little, or it's tiny, or it's this, or it's that. When does size ever disqualify someone from being human? Uh, today, there, there are people of all different sizes in this room. What, what, what makes size the determiner of personhood? It does not. Secondly, L, level of development. The unborn is less developed than a born human. True. But a four-year-old is also less developed than a 14-year-old. So how does development disqualify someone from being a person? The answer is that it does not. E, Environment. The unborn is located in a different environment than the, the, the born human. True. The writer says, how does location affect your value? How can a seven-inch journey through the birth canal magically transform a valueless human into a valuable human? Nothing has changed except the location. And finally, D is degree 
of dependency. Degree of dependency. The unborn is dependent on the mother for nutrition. True. But how does dependency determine personhood? A born baby, a toddler even, they are dependents. And so should they be discarded or deemed non-life because of their level of dependency? The degree of dependency does not determine value. This then, according to our author, is unjust discrimination based on arbitrary characteristics. Size, level of development, environment, and degree of dependence. It's not life. Yes, in fact, it is life. It's developing. It's becoming more and more as we see the form of a human being. The second claim that we hear about is one of authority, really. And it's that it's my body, so I can do with it what I want. Right? My body, my choice is the, the slogan, right? And this argument, too, is flawed. But it may be, at least, it's being honest. Because in this argument, we're not actually arguing whether or not it's life. The argument is whether or not I have the authority to do with it whatever I want to do with it. That's a different argument. Well, one argument is, is about whether or not it, it, it has any value. The second argument is who gets to determine what happens next. It's an it's a argument of authority and autonomy. Are we at liberty to do as we please? In both of these claims, we can see why then there is a conflict. Again, we might go back and say this shouldn't be a conflict, right? Life seems like something we should all protect. Why do we not agree with that? Well, in these two claims, we start to see what, where, where the conflict originates or where it comes from. And fundamentally, there's at least two things involved. And one is the worldview. One is a difference in worldview. One is a difference in the way we actually look at the world that we live in. And the second is, is actually spiritual warfare. So, so first, the, the world, by worldview, I mean the conclusions that we reach about life, those conclusions result from the way that we view life, the way that we understand who we are, understand where we came from, what we believe about God or or don't believe about God. If you view, if if your view of of life is void of, of God, if your worldview is void of God as creator, if we are, are just more developed animals, then, then we are basically at a only the strong survive, right? That the morality is out the window and it's every man for themselves. But here's the problem. Morality does exist. It does exist. If you ask anyone what, what Hitler did, is, was that wrong? They will say, yes, that was wrong. Why was it wrong? Well, upon what metric or what measure, what standard, how would you determine such a thing to be wrong? There has to be some sort of standard, some sort of reason for such a morality. But a worldview void of God tries to make the case that we then 
are the standard. We choose what is right and wrong. We are our own standard. And yet, outside of us, clearly, the moral standard does exist. We will never get the right conclusions to the things that we look at in life if we start in the wrong places. And so our origins matter. And we'll talk about that in just a minute. And the second one, uh, the second reason for the conflict is spiritual warfare. We'll talk about this more at the end uh, briefly, but spiritual warfare is not absent when we talk about abortion. Now, I, I don't want to get to uh, whatever about it, but but listen, abortion is not just about human lives. It is about human lives, but it is about a, a spiritual battle against the evil one. It is absolutely a battle against the evil one, and we'll talk more about that in a moment. So, if that's the situation, right? We, we, have, a, we have a conflict in, in our society. We, we have a, we have a, uh, a, a controversial issue that, doesn't seem to be going away anytime soon. How can we know, how can we be affirmed um, about what we should believe, right? That's the point. I could get up here and tell you lots of different things, but why do we believe what we believe? Upon what authority do we believe the things that we believe? What biblical truths are there to inform our view of life, life at all stages of development? Well, in the famous words of Fräulein Maria, let's start at the very beginning, a very good place to start. You are in Genesis chapter 1. And in Genesis chapter 1, we know that this is the creation account. This is the, the inspired um, account of God's working in the world, of his work to create the heavens and the earth. This is the origin story of the world. This is the, the, the genesis, the, the, the beginning of the world. On days one through three, God forms the world. And on days four through six, he fills the world. And over and over again through this chapter, we find out that the message is very clear. This is God's work. What happens in creation is God's work. God is doing things. And God said, and God said, and God said, over and over through chapter one. What has been created was by God's word, and it was, we've learned, out of nothing. There was no form, and God brought it all to be. We come to the sixth day, and we find on the sixth day that there was a double act of creation, we find on the sixth day and the third day that there are, there are two acts of creation on both of those days. On the, the, third, on the third day, uh, it was plants, uh, land and plants, and on the sixth day, it was animals and, uh, animals and man. Uh, John Lennox, Lennox uh, writes about this, about these double acts, and he says of the third day, this suggests that you do not, in spite of naturalism, get from, get from the non-living to the living without external input of information and energy from the creator. So you don't get from land or from the earth plants without God intervening. And you don't get from an animal to a human without God intervening. The, the point that, that, that's being made here 
is that there's no implication in the text of any sort of evolutionary process in which plants just come up from the ground or man comes from the animals. Rather, Moses is providing a defined creation order in which there is clear distinction between land and plants, animals and man. What's the point of this? The point is that God is doing the creating. God is the creator of, of the land, of the plants, of the animals, and of man. And on the sixth day, we see the creation of man, who is the crown of God's creation. Look at verse 26. And God said, let us make man in our image, after our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the birds of the heavens, and over the livestock, and over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. And all God's people said, amen. yes, and amen. This, the sixth day of creation, was God's final creation act. And humans, men and women, were the climax, the, the, the apex of his creation. And here we see two important truths about creation. First is that we are made by God. See in verse 26, let us make man. Or in verse 27, so God created man. In verse 26, it says, let us make man. And we just should note what, what the scripture is saying to us there. That's a, a plural pronoun. So God is using a plural to refer to himself, which indicates that it wasn't just the father involved here. That the Father was involved, the Son was involved, the Spirit was involved. That the Trinity was involved in creation. That is the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. The Godhead, the triunity of God was involved in creation. God made or God created man. If you just look over to verse uh, 7 of chapter 2. The writer giving us more depiction of creation uh, the creation uh, on day six, it says, then God, then the Lord God formed man from the dust, from the ground, and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and the man became a living creature. He formed the man from the ground. This word formed here is the, the idea of, of a, what a potter does to pottery. He, he takes the, the clay and he molds it and he makes it, and he forms it, and he shapes it, and he fashions it. And so that's what God did here with the dust from the ground. You heard already read for you Psalm chapter 139. And in Psalm chapter 139, the psalmist says that we are intricately woven, or another translation would say skillfully wrought. Oh, what are all these words telling us? They're all meaning the same thing. The made, created, formed, wrought. All this is describing the work of God. It's all describing God's work of creation. In fact, the word create only refers to divine activity in the Old Testament. Whenever the word create is used, it's used of God doing divine work. God is the creator. Sometimes we talk about some, some people are, are creators or they're creative. And you're only that way as a sub-creator of the creator. 
right? In some senses, we don't create anything. Meaning we take other things and we make things with them. Sure, we might call that I created something. But you took something that did exist and made it into something. That's very different than what God does in creation. God takes something that does not exist and makes it into existence. Very different. God is the creator. And here we see that it is God who creates man. So God created man. And he made him from the dust. That is to say that he is the, the, the author. He's the author from the dust. He breathed into him the breath of life. God is the author of life. God has authority over life. You don't have authority over life. I don't have authority over life. God has authority over life. He gives life, and he takes life. 1 Samuel chapter 2, verse 6 says in the Legacy Standard Bible, Yahweh puts to death and makes alive. Deuteronomy chapter 32, verse 39 says, See now, I am he. There is no God beside me. I bring death and I give life. I wound and I heal. And there is no one who can deliver from my hand. God is the creator. God is the one who has authority over life and over death. And if he is the author, if he is the giver, then we have no right to take the life of someone else. And when we do, we are acting as God. We are, we are attempting to be God, which is rebellion against God. And we have seen how that works out in the scriptures. We were made by God. Secondly, in verse 27, we were made in his image. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. There's several things about the, being made in the image that we can understand here. One of them is being made in God's image means that we are his. Derek Kidner um, uh, writes, this constitutes a declaration of ownership. When the, the scriptures say that God created man in his own image, it is to say that what he has created is his Yes, he is the creator, and what he has created is his possession. Is his, his ownership, uh, he has ownership of it. We are made in God's image. We are his creation. We are made in his image. It's not that we have the potential uh, for his image. Rather, we are stamped with the image of God. Meaning you carry the image of God whether you, whether you like it or not. You are made in the image of God. Whether you believe it or not, you are made in the image of God. God. Secondly, we can see that being made in the image of God means that we reflect or we represent God. Uh, this word image means to carve, uh, to carve out or to cut out. It means a representative or a resemblance. In verse 26, you look up to verse 26, it says, let us make man in our image after our likeness. And that's a different word, but it's used as a symbol. A simile here. Uh, it is synonymous. Uh, it, it means the same thing here. Uh, to be made in the image of, of, of God, though, we, we want to make sure we understand, d does not mean uh, any, any sense physical, right? And the reason we know this is because God is not physical. God is a spirit. And we could look 
uh, and other places to, to talk about that. John chapter 1, verse 18, or 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 16. So God does not have a human form. And so when God says that you're made in the image of God, that doesn't mean that God looks like me. It means that there, are, there is, is in some way, some ways, we are like God. And some of those ways are things like intellect, emotion, will. Tim, Tim Mackey says that we are made then to reflect God's goodness and his character, represent God's rule in the world. So we share, though imperfectly because of our sin, we share something that's true about God or some things that are true about God. And we will call these communicable attributes or transmissible characteristics, things that are true of God and true of people. Now, there are things that are true of God that are not true of people. Those would be incommunicable, right? Just because we're made in the image of God doesn't mean we are all-knowing. doesn't mean we're everywhere present. It doesn't mean we're, we're, we're all-powerful, clearly, right? Those are things that are only true of God. But when we're made in the image of God, it means that we carry some of his traits. We carry traits like wisdom and truth and love and justice and mercy and grace. Thirdly, we find that being made in the image of God means that we have worth and we have value. Humans are the only creatures, listen, the only creatures that are made in God's image. I know people love animals. and Some of you have pets and, and you might treat them like people. They're not people, right? True, right? They're not people. They're not made in God's image. They do not carry the imago dei. Only humans do that. In our culture, there seems to be a, a, an emphasis on protecting certain animals more than protecting the, the life of the unborn. We, 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 we've completely missed the necessary distinction between man and animals. And that is that we are made in the image of God. And because we're made in the image of God, we have infinite and intrinsic worth and value. And this applies to all human beings. All human beings. Look at the end of verse 27. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created him. Created them. So there's no distinction between male and female. There's no distinction in any other, any other way. There's no other distinctions. If someone is human, they are made in the image of God. If they're made in the image of God, then they have worth and they have value. This morning, as you sit here this morning, you are made in the image of God. You have worth. You have value. Not because of what you've done. Not because of your resume. You haven't lost your value because of what you've done or not done. No, the image of God is not something that we earn. It's something that is given. You have infinite worth, intrinsic worth, inherent worth and value. And because man carries the image of God, that's what makes murder such a problem. Turn in your Bible to Genesis chapter 9. Just a few pages over. Genesis chapter 9.
God making a covenant with Noah. In verse 6, he says, Whoever sheds the blood of a man, by man shall his blood be shed. For, because, God made man in his own image. The reason that murder matters is because it is an assault against the image of God. The reason why killing an innocent life in the womb matters is because it's an assault against the image of God. And assaulting the image of God is assaulting God. The fourth thing we can understand about the image of God here, being made in the image of God means that we can know God. It means that we can know God. Because you've been made in a a sense like God, that means you have the capacity then, the spiritual capacity to have fellowship with God. Now, until our eyes are open to see that and recognizing our sin, we, we uh, we are captive to our sin. But when God opens our eyes to see it, humans have the capacity to have a relationship, to have union with God. We are enabled to know God. Matthew Henry says, God's image on man consists in knowledge, righteousness, and true holiness. And yet because of our sin, we are marred and we are flawed. We are not what we are made to be. But the good news is that not all hope is lost. We can be redeemed. So though we are made in the image of God, we are fallen. We are marred. We are not all that we should have been. But in Christ. Our image is being renewed. We're becoming more and more into the image of God. 2 Corinthians 5, 17 says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. The old has passed away, the new has come. Ephesians 4, 24 says, Put on the new self, created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. Colossians chapter 3, verse 10 says, Put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge in the image of its creator. That's what's happening when we come to Christ. What is happening is the image of God is being renewed. What we were meant to be is starting to become more and more of it. We're becoming more and more like the image of God, the image that we are to reflect of God. We can know God. We can relate to God. We can have fellowship with God. We can have communion with God. We can have union with God. Now, I know that's a lot of churchy words, but, but, but think about the union you might have with a, with a person or a spouse or a friend or your girlfriend or whatever, this, this relationship. Being in the image of God means that the humans have the capacity then to relate to God in fellowship to have a union, to have communion with God. We are made for it. Sin has separated us from it, but Christ came to bring us back. This reconciliation, this union with God has come through Christ. We are made by God and for God and to be with God. My question for you is, are you in union with God today? Do you know God? You can know God. That's what the image of God tells us. But do you know God? Have you come to see that you are a sinner at odds with your creator? That your sin has separated you, but Christ has come not only to cover your sin, but to make you new, to make you a new creation. A creation that's becoming more and more into the image of God. Fifthly, we see that being made in the image of God means that we were given dominion. 
Again, Tim Mackey, Tim Mackey's quote is that we were made to represent God's rule in the world. So functionally, being made in the image of God means that mankind had dominion over the earth. Look at verse 28. And God blessed them. And God said, be fruitful, multiply, and fill the earth, subdue it, and have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the birds of the heavens, and over every living thing that moves on the earth. When God made man in his image, he gave to him authority. He gave to him dominion over the earth. Warren Wiersbe explains the significance here. Man was given the place of dominion over the earth, the highest position in creation. This explains the attack of Satan. For Satan had once held this position and had wanted an even higher one. If he could not have the place of God in the universe, then he would try to take the place of God in humans' lives. And he succeeded. Man lost his dominion through sin, but this dominion has been regained for us by Christ, who is the last Adam, end quote. Satan hates what God loves, and he loves what God hates. Satan hates anyone who bears the image of God. In John chapter 10, verse 10, it tells us that the thief has come to kill, to steal, kill, and destroy but the Christ has come to give life and life to the full. And who is the thief? The thief is none other than Satan himself, who comes to what? To steal, kill, and destroy. This is not a new plan. This is not a new plan to try to destroy the image of God. He tried it with Adam, and he succeeded. We come to the New Testament, and he tried it again with the second Adam, didn't he? You remember Matthew chapter 4, when Jesus is in the wilderness? What is Satan trying to do? He's trying to destroy, and it doesn't work. We keep reading the story, and Satan tries again, doesn't he? On the cross, as Jesus suffers and dies, and surely there was thought to be a failure by Jesus. How could the Redeemer die? And yet then three days later, what? The resurrection. Victory. Victory over the grave. Victory over Satan. It's all what Genesis chapter 3, verse 15 foretold. That the great heel crusher would come. That the, the one who would crush the head of the serpent would come. The serpent who would bruise his heel, that is the crucifixion. But Jesus would crush his head. Satan is out for blood. He's out for destruction. And as he came for Adam, as he came for Jesus, he comes for us too. He comes seeking to steal, kill, and destroy, and he wants to do that to you. And he does that to the most vulnerable among us. Don't miss that in murder, and abortion is murder, All murder is an assault on the image of God. And so when we talk about this matter, when we talk about abortion, it's not just about a legality, right? It's not just about biology. The ethics here are theological. Everything is theological. Everything is theological. Everything comes back to God. 
may say, well, well, what if someone doesn't believe in God? That's theological. They, they don't have a theology. Yes, they do. That's theology. Theology isn't church. It's, it's not only for us, so to speak. Everyone has a theology. Everyone believes something about God. And so every matter, every matter in the end is a theological matter. R.C. Sproul says that everyone then is a, the, a theologian. So you are a theologian. You say, I haven't, I haven't been to Bible college. I haven't been to, it doesn't matter. You're, now, we might be good theologians. We might be bad theologians. But we're all theologians because we all have beliefs. We all have ideas about God. Now, what are those ideas based on? What are they, how, how can we defend such ideas? Is it true? Not all ideas are true, of course. But when we get our theology in order, when we understand what God says about himself and his word, we'll understand who he is. We'll understand his will for human life. And the reality is the reason that we have such a, a disconnect in issues of abortion is primarily because we have a disconnect on what the Bible is saying about life. Genesis chapter 1 tells us that we are made by God. That means he's the author of life. And that we were made in God's image. That all people, from the cradle to the grave, from the, from the womb to the tomb, have inherent worth and value. Now, some parents uh, remind their children when they're going out in public, they remind them that they are representing the family. Right? Remember, remember who, who, who's, who's you are. Or if you're playing a sport, remember you know, whose name is on, on your back. Right? You, might, you may have came from that family. They're, they're saying, reflect the family values. What you do represents me out in the world. But in a far greater way, we who bear the image of God were made to reflect God himself. And so what do we care about? Do we care about the things that God cares about? What do we love? Do we love the things that God loves? If we are a reflection of God, how well can someone know God by looking at us? Though imperfect, we are, uh, we as Christians, as we walk in the Spirit, are being renewed day by day. You can know that. That this is the work of God. This is the work of God in your life. You may say, I'm, I mean, I got, maybe I'm not where I should be yet, right? Okay. Join the club. <laughs> Secondly, then, there's enough time for us to start moving in the right direction, isn't there? Maybe I'm not reflecting God in the ways I should be. Well, how are we doing? Well, are we keeping in step with the Spirit? Are we walking in the Spirit? Are we being obedient to God? Are we being renewed day by day? Paul says to the Corinthians in 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 18, and we all with unveiled faces, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. We are made by God and we are made in his image. May God help us to live accordingly. Let's pray. God, we thank you for the assurances today of your great love for people. That you love us. 
you care for us, that, that, that in your wisdom and grace, when you made us, you made us with value and you made us with worth. And we can be uh, comforted and encouraged by that. And we can know that all people are made with value. And all people, their lives are, are to be protected. And so God, I pray that you would help us to know exactly what that looks like, how, how we can advocate and how we can encourage and how we can stand up for rightly and appropriately the cause of the unborn. God, if we are to reflect you, if that's really the call here, God, would you help us this week to love the things that you love? That by our life, other people would see you. And we'll give you thanks. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Oh God.